still fighting the same. If you want to say, would you continue to reveal yourself to us as you have been in your word? And I pray that our hearts will be prepared to hear it. Thank you for these times when we can quiet our hearts, when we can set aside everything that is swirling around us in our hearts and minds and our lives and our homes and focus on you. Pray that that would happen this morning and that you would speak clearly. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks, folks. You can have a seat. I don't know about you guys, but it is so exciting to be in the middle of another election year. I just love, isn't it your favorite? Isn't it like Christmas? You're like, boy, I can't wait. More elections, more commercials, more campaigns, more garbage all over the place. I don't know if you have thought about this, but it is hard to believe that it has been almost four years since we were really introduced in the mainstream to the term fake news. Doesn't it feel like it's been become a part of our lexicon in this country? It's really only been about four years. Fake news. Just say whatever you want about anything that's happened or not happened and report it as true and hope that people believe it. You don't have to pay very close attention in our world today to understand that we have a very interesting relationship with truth in this culture. Um, Many people around us, and maybe even some of us in some areas of our lives, live by the philosophy of moral relativism. In other words, there is no objective standard of truth. That's why we have the rise in terms like Speaking my truth. How many people have ever heard somebody say that? I just need to speak. Oh, well, people say it a lot, okay? Just have to trust me about that. Speaking, I need to speak my truth. What are they saying? They're saying, this is what I think. This is what I think is going on. This is what I think is happening. There's a lot of rewriting of history going on. I like to read history. I like to watch movies about history. It's interesting to see some of these things, and and not necessarily supposed to be uh, 100% accurate or all true events, but they'll take the situations or circumstances and craft a fictional story in the middle of it. But it's interesting when you watch those, how you see even those characters in that fictional story making decisions and acting in certain ways and living lifestyles. And I'm thinking to myself, was that really happening in 1750? Is that really what people were saying? We're rewriting history. We have developed just very naturally this tendency, this skill, if you can actually call it that, of turning the truth to our advantage. How does it suit me? How does it suit my life? How does it affect the way that I want to live? Because we need to understand this, no matter who we are and what we believe or don't believe, that our truth determines how we live our lives, right? What I believe or what I don't believe determines how I live my life. How we view the truth 
is critical. So what do we do as Christ followers? What is the truth for us? And how do we determine the truth? And what is our relationship with the truth? Now you know, if you've been here very much at all, you know that we believe, that we teach, that there is an objective standard of truth. That the truth is not just for all of us to decide whatever we want it to be. There is a standard that we adhere to, and that standard is the Word of God, the Bible. And it comes to bear in every area of our lives, and it determines our worldview. Our worldview is simply, how how does what we know and believe affect our hearts? How does it affect our relationships? How does it affect our personal lives? How does it affect how we do our jobs? And when we come together like this, some of the things that we've been talking about the last few weeks, how does it affect the way that we interact in the church? I know I say this a lot because I really like a lot of the songs that we sing. I know that there's a list now of 25 songs that I've said are one of my favorite songs, but one of my favorite songs is that new one that we're singing now, this one that we just learned, Say What You Want to Say. I love that song. In the last line of the chorus, we just sang it, says, Because who we are is found in what you say. Guess what that is? That's what we're talking about. That our worldview as Christ followers has to be based on the standard of God's word. Because who we are is found in what you say. And 1 Timothy is about life in the church. It's about doing God's work God's way. And we're asking ourselves, what should we be doing in the church? And I want to suggest to you this morning that in the church, we should be standing up for the truth. We need to be standing up for the truth. The truth is under attack in our culture, in our society. When Dave was talking a few minutes ago about reaching the unreached, he mentioned that we are in a spiritual battle, that this is a spiritual war. And I don't think it's overdramatic to say that. We're in a battle for truth, and we need to be standing up for it. And God asks us to be defenders of the truth And so for a few minutes this morning, we're going to talk about what that means and how we do it. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, if you have your Bibles with you, 1 Timothy 3. And remember, Paul is talking to Timothy. Timothy is a relatively young guy. He's younger than Paul. Paul has come alongside him and taught him and trained him. And now Timothy is the pastor in the city of Ephesus. And 1 Timothy 3, 14 says this, Paul writing, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So the reason why Paul is saying that is because he traveled all over the region and he was teaching and preaching and starting new churches and and spreading the gospel all over the place. And Paul has had a lot of things happen on the way. I mean, he, he got into a lot of messes because of what he was doing. He stirred up a lot of problems in the places that he was going, and sometimes he would get arrested, sometimes he would get beaten, sometimes he would be thrown in prison. Um, 
Believe it or not, three times Paul was in a shipwreck. I mean, that's like getting struck by lightning more than once. I mean, how often does that happen? But that happened to Paul. Satan didn't want Paul to travel around and plant these churches and spread the gospel. And Paul had to deal with all of this. And giving all, given all of that that had happened, Paul had just said, you know, whatever, I'm gonna, whatever I can do, I'm going to do it for the sake of the church, for the sake of Christ. But he was realistic about the fact that a lot of difficult things had happened. And so that's why Paul says this in verse 14. He's saying, hey, Timothy, this is my plan, but in case it doesn't work out, this is what I want you to know. That's what he's saying here. In verse 15, he says, I want you to really know what matters and how to live and how to function in the church. Now, Paul gives us two words here in this verse to describe the church that are very, very important. And I know that you did not realize this when you got out of bed this morning, but today is a big day for you, for us. Because I'm going to teach you three Greek words today. Okay? Safety team, button those doors up so that people can't stream out, okay? It's a big day. Three words. Two of them are about the church. Listen to what he says. The church, he says, how you behave in the household of God. The word household is the Greek word oikos. Isn't that a fun word to say? Oikos. Now, we've actually talked about this word before. I'm sure nobody remembers it, but we have talked about it before. In the, thank you. Thank you, Jess. Brownie points for Jess. She remembers. The word oikos It carries with it the idea of a family, but it's more than a family. It's more than just like an immediate family. Like, for instance, Melody and I and Gavin are a family. That's my immediate family, my wife and my son. The word oikos is more than immediate family. The word oikos means a family with all of its connections. Think about your family, not just the people that live in your house, but all of your family, all of the connections, okay? Um, my, one of my aunts passed away a couple of weeks ago, and I drove up to New Brunswick to go to the funeral and spend some time with my mother and my father. And I went to the funeral, the visiting time before the funeral. And I have, my mom has 10 siblings, and between them they had over 40 children. And those 40 children have produced another 150 grandchildren and, you know, so on and so forth. And I'm on the younger end of the spectrum because my mom was one of the youngest in our family. And I walked into the funeral home where we were having the gathering before the service, and I saw a whole bunch of my cousins. Some of them I hadn't seen for 25 or 30 years because we live in different parts of the world and we have jobs and families and we just don't see each other. Now, there were other cousins that I saw there that I know very well. We grew up together. We spent a lot of time together. We have things in common. We're of similar age. And so I'm visiting with all of my cousins and some that I haven't seen forever and some that I've just seen very recently. And I realize, you know, this is like the church. It's an oikos. It's a family with all of its connections. And some connections are very close and we know each other very well and other connections are kind of distant. That's what the church is like, Paul says. It's a household. I'm looking out here this morning. Some of you I know very well. 
Some of you, we've had lots and lots of conversations. We've been in small groups together, or you've walked through something in your life, and maybe Melody and I have have walked through it with you, and we know each other very well. And others of you, I don't know well at all. We have a conversation once in a while. We say, hi, I know who you are. And then others of you, honestly, this morning I'm looking out, and I, I don't even know who you are. We haven't even met. That's the word that Paul uses to describe the church. It's an oikos. It's a family, but it's all the family's connections, and it's spread out. Notice he says, it's the household of God, which is the church of the living God. Here's the second word that I want you to know about the church. The word church here is the word ecclesia. Ecclesia, and it literally means to call someone out away from something and towards something else. As Christ followers, we talk about this often, don't we? God calls us out of the world to himself. If you are listening to the video that we showed earlier about Brazil, and Dave was doing the voiceover there, he said that when they went to Brazil last year and traveled to some of these villages and they shared the gospel, he said God called about 20 people to himself. Did you hear him say that? He called them to himself. God called them out of the world, out of the lifestyle that they'd been living and to a different lifestyle. And that's what the word ecclesia means. That's what the word church means. So Paul says, the church is the family with all of its connections. And the church is also a group of people that God has called out of one lifestyle and to another lifestyle. That's what those words mean. Now I want you to notice here, he says, that the church is not only our dwelling and our gathering place, but it's also the dwelling place of God. See you there? That's what it says. It's the household of God, the church of the living God. Now, I was reading these verses and thinking about them, and I think Paul had something specific in mind when he was writing these things. If you remember way back, about six weeks ago, when Pastor Tim introduced what we were talking about, he said the city of Ephesus had a claim to fame. And the claim to fame of the city of Ephesus was that it was the home of the temple to the goddess Diana. Diana was a very popular deity of the time, a popular idol that was worshipped. Diana was the goddess of sex and fertility. And so involved in all of the worship, quote-unquote, of Diana was all kinds of immorality. And Paul says... This church, this household, is the church of the living God. Now, the temple of Diana had this massive stone sculpture of what Diana supposedly looked like. It was just a big hunk of granite. And Paul says, this is the church of the living God. When we meet together, God is here. God is here with us, right? You remember Jesus said 
to his disciples when he was teaching. He said, hey, guys, if two or three of you even get together, then I'm there in the midst of you. Now, God dwells in us. If we're a Christ follower, God dwells in us always. But I want you to understand that something special happens when we all gather like this. When you walk out of here and you go to your life or your job or your family or whatever, you may feel kind of lonely. I'm the only one that's doing this. I'm the only one that's living my life this way or making these kinds of decisions or trying to change my life with God's help. But I know that God is with me. God is always with you. He dwells in us. But when we come together like this, as the oikos, the household, as the ecclesia, the called out ones, something different happens. Last week we talked about the fact that God calls us to that alternate culture, to do things a different way than the rest of the world is doing them. What does Paul want us to know about this oikos? What does he want us to know about this ecclesia, this household, this church? How does he describe us? Look at the verse in 15. He says, the church is a pillar and buttress of the truth. Now, everybody knows what a pillar is, right? Okay, a pillar is a tall, skinny thing made of strong stuff. I, you, you'd have to be up here sometime to see what I'm looking at when I look out here. Honestly, sometimes I fear for you, but I press on. A pillar, you know what a pillar is? It hold, Thank you, that's wonderful. Now you're just being smart. I'll take it, I'll take whatever I can get. A pillar holds up the roof, right? Holds up the structure, it supports it. A buttress, we don't use that word too much anymore, but a buttress is another architectural feature that provides support to the walls. Last time you read an architecture book, did, it, did you see anything that said anything about a, a flying buttress? You ever heard of a flying buttress? That's a real thing, man. It's a real thing, isn't it, Pete? It is. It is. A buttress supports the walls, supports the structure. And Paul says the church is a pillar and a buttress of the truth. Now, Paul knows what he's doing here when he says this, because remember I just said that Ephesus' claim to fame was that it had the temple to the goddess Diana in the middle of it. Well, the temple of Diana was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was this massive, unbelievable architectural feat and it had 127 giant columns, pillars, that were holding up this marble roof. Paul says, the church is the pillar of the truth. We are to hold up the truth so that everyone can see it. This church, the church, must be a place where people can come and find truth in this maelstrom of relativism and filth and self-love that's happening all around us. 
People need to know that they can come here and find the truth. Now, you might be sitting there, you might say, well, Mike, I don't know who you know, but the people I know, they don't want to know what we have to say. Well, you know what? At some point, as we pray for God to open people's hearts and minds to what is true and what is right, they will become tired of trying to live their lives in futility according to what is not true. And that's part of our job, isn't it? To pray that God would open people's eyes and that they will want to know the truth. The church is to support the truth. The church is to hold it up for other people to see. I think it's very interesting that when Paul says it, he says the church is a pillar and buttress of the truth. Not the pillar, a pillar. This church is a pillar of the truth. We're not the only ones. There are other churches here in this community that are teaching the truth. And I'm thankful for them because we have all have a part in displaying the truth for people to see it. So what is the truth? Well, Paul obliges us in the next verse with the truth. Verse 16, he says, "Great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness." He, that is Jesus, was manifest in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up into glory. So this verse is just obviously packed with information here, but I just want to help you to understand why I think Paul says what he does here. If you go to Acts chapter 19, you see the story of Paul starting the church in Ephesus. He went to Ephesus and he preached the gospel. And this is what happened when Paul shared the truth in the city of Ephesus that was swamped with filth and lies. It started to impact the whole city because people started to come to Christ. They started to trust Christ and come to faith and allow God to start changing their lives. And it disrupted the whole city so much that there was a riot in the city. Read Acts 19. It's right there. There was a riot. And some of the wealthy people and businessmen in the city were like, we can't let this happen. It's changing our whole town. Of course, that's exactly what God had intended for the gospel to do. But there was a whole riot. If you read that chapter, there was a point in all of that confusion, that a whole mob of people stood in the middle of the street chanting. Now, Diana was also known by the name of Artemis. She had two names, Diana and Artemis. And you read Acts 19, and it says, For two hours, a mob of people stood in the streets of Ephesus, and they said, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. For two hours they just chanted it. This is the truth. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Paul is saying, no. This is great. This is the truth. The truth is that 150 years after Paul started that church in Ephesus, The temple of Diana closed. 
It closed. It was no more. Very shortly after that, excuse me, very shortly after that, it was destroyed. And now, if you go to the country of Turkey today, which is where Ephesus was located, you can take a tour of the ruins of the city of Ephesus. It doesn't exist anymore. Paul says, great is this truth, and we know from our perspective that 2,000 years later, this truth still stands, and the gospel still advances. Now, I know this is what you've all been waiting for. Here it is. The thir- Some of you chuckled. That means you remember what I'm talking about. I'm so encouraged. This is the third word. The first two were about the church, the oikos, and the ecclesia, the household, and the called out ones. This word, Paul says, great indeed, we confess is the mystery of godliness. The word we confess is one word in Greek, and it is so awesome. It's my favorite Greek word, and you're going to know why in a second. And you're going to go home. You're going to be humming it. You're going to be saying it. You're going to be repeating it. You ready? Homologumina. Isn't that a great word? I mean, we just don't have words like that in English. Homologumina. Paul says, homologumina is this mystery of godliness. Do you know what it means? It means we all agree together. It means we consent to this as a group, as an oikos, as the ecclesia. We consent, we agree, this is the truth. Now you remember I said a few minutes ago that God is always with us. He dwells in our hearts. But something different, something special happens when we are all together. Remember that I said that? It was just like five minutes ago. Something special happens. Do you know one of the special things that happens when we are all together like this? We agree that this is the truth. How many times do you go to your work, do you go to your school, do you maybe even go to your home, and you know that you're the only one there that believes that this is the truth? Does that or does that not happen? Of course it happens. But when we come together, we say, we agree. Homologumina. We agree. We consent. This is the truth. And what follows here, some people say this was a hymn that the early church sang. Some say it was a creed that they quoted. We don't know. Doesn't matter. We agree. And he gives six statements here that I don't really have time to look at with you this morning, but Jesus was manifest in the flesh. Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth, became a man. We saw the character of God in Jesus. He was vindicated by the Spirit. When he was baptized, the Holy Spirit said, This 
is God. And first Peter tells us that the Holy Spirit was the one that raised Jesus up out of the grave and confirmed that everything he had ever said and everything that he had ever done was the truth. He was seen by angels. We read through the New Testament, the angels witnessed his birth all the way through to his death. What does that tell us? It tells us that the truth about Jesus Christ and the gospel is known not only in the world that we can see, but the world that we cannot see. Paul says there are unseen powers and authorities going on around us and trying to take control of this world, but they know, too, that this is the truth. He was proclaimed among the nations. Christ proclaimed it when he walked on this earth. He commanded the disciples to proclaim it in the Great Commission. He commanded it again in Acts 1.8. Go into all the world and preach the gospel and tell everyone, like Dave was sharing with us a few minutes ago, to all nations and languages and people groups. Fifthly, Jesus was believed on in the world. People began to come to Jesus and to believe what he said was true even while he was here. And then on the day of Pentecost that I mentioned last week when Peter preached that message and 3,000 people got saved. And it has continued today in this church. Many of you over the last 18, 20 years have believed on the name of Jesus and it's changed your life. And then he says Jesus was taken up into heaven. Jesus humbled himself He sacrificed himself, and then he was glorified and taken back to heaven where he sits on the throne of this world. And one day he's going to turn around and come back to this world. When you're looking around and you're thinking, I'm the only one in this whole place that believes the truth. Well, you know, the Bible says that one day Jesus is going to come back. And guess what happens when Jesus comes back? Paul says, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every tongue. That's the truth. And this precious gift of truth has been given to us as Christ followers. It's been entrusted to us as the church. And we are called to guard it, to defend it, to live it, to spread it, to share it. And so my question for you is here this morning, are you standing up for the truth in your life? Are you standing up for the truth in your life? Now you may be thinking, I don't even know how to do that. I mean, what do I do? Let me suggest two things, very, very simply. Number one, You need to know what the truth is. You can't defend what you don't understand. You can't defend what you do not know. You need to start with the basics of who God is, who Jesus is, what he has done for you. Start simple. And you build from there. There's a reason why we stand up here, I don't know, Tim, what, it seems like every week, but maybe it's not every week, there's a reason why we stand up here and we say, folks, if you want to know what God has said, if you want to know how to live life, if you want to know how to enjoy his presence and his blessing, 
You have to read the Bible for yourself. It's why we stand up here time and time again. It's why there's a whole section of the app and the website and everything else that we can put out there saying, this is how you can get connected to a small group so that you can learn and grow. This is why we offer equip classes. This is why we encourage you to do that, because you need to know what the truth is. That's the first step to standing up for it. And the second step is equally simple. You need to live it. You need to know what the truth is, and then you got to live it. you got to practice it. you got to live it. you got to do it. I don't know if you knew this or not, but there was a company back in the 70s started making sneakers. The company was named Nike. Started making sneakers, and they decided to branch out. They decided to make apparel, shorts, T-shirts, hoodies, sweatpants. And you know what they found? They made it so comfortable that everybody was just wearing the stuff and laying around and eating chips and licking rib sauce off their hands. And so a bunch of executives got together and said, this is terrible. We got all this stuff for exercising, and everybody's sitting around watching TV because it's so comfortable. And one junior executive said, man, don't you wish people would just do it? And the CEO said, that's it. And that's how Nike came up with Just Do It. That's not true. (laughs) But it could be true. It could be true. Because that's what happens. I go to the Nike store, and I find the thickest, softest hoodie I can, and then I wear it while I'm laying on the couch, taking a nap. But don't we do that with the truth? you got to know what the truth is, people, but then you've got to do it. That's how you stand up for the truth. Know it and do it. How casually and easily we turn away from what we hear and how soon we forget. Friends, you have been given a sacred trust. What are you doing with it? What are you doing with it? There's an expectation, of course, for our church as well. We're to be the pillar and buttress of the truth, to display it, to defend it, who Jesus is, what he's done, the lifestyle he's called us to. This cannot be forsaken. And down through the ages, we've had creeds. You can look down through church history. There have been creeds like this, anthems, songs. It's why we sing the things that we do. We don't just pick these songs because they're catchy. We pick songs because they remind us of what? Homologumina. We agree. Will you stand up with us this morning? We're going to sing... A song that is written that way, like a creed, we believe. Let's sing it together.
folks, we need to know the truth and we need to do it. It's as simple as that. Stand up for the truth in your life. When we come together as the oikos, as the ecclesia, we'll agree and we'll do it together. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for saying what you have wanted to say to us this morning because we know and we sang it and we acknowledge it that who we are is found in what you say. We believe these things to be true by our voices. I pray that we will show that we believe them by our lives and our actions. Go with us now into this community that we might show your love and share the truth. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you, folks. Have a great week.